0: Good day and happy training, everybody. I'm Will Bangora, and you're listening to Pet Talk today. This is a special podcast episode where I'm going to be talking about probably one of the most difficult behavior problems to deal with, and that's inter-dog aggression. Inter-dog aggression is just a fancy word for a household that has multiple dogs, and you've got multiple dogs fighting within that same household it can be one of the most heartbreaking problems for pet guardians uh, to have to face to have to deal with because oftentimes what what what's typical is that you have two or more dogs that in every way shape and form are incredible dogs they're amazing they're loving they are part of the family and the dogs that are fighting, they may have gotten along and have been best friends for many, many years. And then it seems like one day, out of the blue, they start fighting. And this could be something that is very, very severe. It might be something that started off and it progressed and got more and more and more severe. But again, there's nothing more heartbreaking than having two dogs that you love or more than two dogs that you love in the same household that are fighting one another, causing damage to one another. Um, It's trauma. It's trauma for the dogs. It's trauma for you, especially if we're talking about dogs that are puncturing each other, ripping, tearing. Having to take the dogs to the emergency hospital to get stitched up, maybe drainage tubes in there. What do you do? What do you do? Now, I need to put a little disclaimer here. Aggression is dangerous. It's very easy when working with dogs that have aggression issues for you to get bit. I want you to understand that anytime you're dealing with aggression, the best course of action is to find a professional dog trainer, a professional dog behavior consultant or behaviorist that specializes in aggression, that specializes in inter-dog aggression. Because, you know, I talk to trainers and behavior consultants and behaviorists all across the world, and they deal with a lot of issues. There's one issue that many of them choose not to work with, and that's inter-dog aggression. You know, There are certain trainers, there are certain behavior consultants and behaviorists that believe that inter-dog aggression is something that you really can't have much success with. I refuse to accept that as the answer. Because the bottom line is, in my company, Phoenix Dog Training, we have success every day working with inter-dog aggression. It requires having the right understanding as to what's going on and why it's going on, and to have the right protocol and the right behavior modification plan in order to make things better. And there's a lot of different steps that we have to go through when we're dealing with inter-dog aggression. Now, the first thing that we need to deal with is management, okay? Until you've done the work and the work takes time, there are no quick fixes for any serious behavior problem, especially inter-dog aggression. But until you've done the work of behavior modification, you need to manage the situation, And what management means in this particular situation, if you've got two dogs or more than two dogs in the house fighting, you need to separate them. I'm going to say that again. You need to separate them. And what that means is that they don't see each other. That doesn't mean that you put up a baby gate and you've got one dog on one side of the baby gate the other dog on the other side of the baby gate. I guarantee you there's going to be stress between the two dogs, probably going to be some aggression and barrier frustration as well. Step one, management. Separate the dogs. We need to, what I call, triage. Stop the bleeding. In some cases, it's literal. But what we need to do, step one, is we manage things. We cannot have your dogs continue to rehearse this behavior. Behaviors that continue to be rehearsed get conditioned and that conditioning gets more and more um, powerful. It gets strengthened each and every time there's an altercation. Now, one thing you need to understand is that all aggression is based in fear. Let me say that again. All aggression is based in fear. No animal, no animal, goes into fight or flight unless they perceive something is threatening. Now, there's a key word in there, perceive. Not everything in the world that dogs are reacting to is there a real threat. For some dogs, it's going to be an imaginary perceived threat. But it doesn't matter to the brain. It doesn't matter to the nervous system, whether it's real or imagined. A threat is a threat. If a dog goes into fight or flight, they've got three choices. They can fight, they can freeze, or they can flight, run away, get away from it. Usually by the time there's been several altercations, Usually by the time there's been several fights, the behavior has turned into something that's functional. And as a behaviorist, we use applied behavior analysis to take a look at these behaviors. And we use a term called functional behaviors. And I want you to think about something. When a dog experiences a perceived or real threat, something where they're afraid, and we've talked about they've got three choices, fight, flight, or freeze. When in that particular situation, when we look at the behavior Let's say we've got two dogs, and they're viewing each other as a threat. And maybe one of the dogs views the other dog as more threatening, maybe the one that is the typical aggressor. Now, that dog begins to aggress, fight with the other dog. Now, what typically happens when there's a dog fight? Well, what typically happens is you, as the pet Parent, the pet guardian, typically will get in there and pull the dogs apart. You'll create distance and space. You might remove the two from even being able to see each other or from being in the same room. Now, when you remove the dogs and separate them, and there's increased distance and space between the two of them, the dog, where it perceives something as threatening, where it was experiencing fears, that now decreases because the further away the real or perceived threat is, the less scary it is. And if a dog learns to rehearse certain behaviors, and as a result of those behaviors, the consequence or what happens immediately after the behavior is that they get some relief from that internal pressure, that anxiety, that stress, that fear, when there is distance between the two dogs, that anxiety, that fear decreases. So, the behavior works. It works for the dog. And there's no reason to give it up. There's no reason to give up that behavior. So, When we take a look at analyzing behaviors, we've got what we call the ABCs. A stands for antecedent. That just means what's happening right before the behavior or what's the trigger. So another term that we could interchange with antecedents might be the term triggers. So we've got the antecedents or triggers. What happens right before the behavior? That's our A. B is the behavior. How does the dog respond in terms of action? And then we've got C, consequence. Now, I need you to think about consequence not just as something where the consequence might be negative, but there might be a positive consequence as well. So consequence doesn't necessarily mean negative. I think a lot of people, when we use that word consequence, they think in terms of something negative or punishing. It also can mean something rewarding okay and based on what the consequence is of the behavior that can reinforce the behavior now remember anytime we talk about reinforce reinforcers whether it be positive reinforcement or whether it be negative reinforcement reinforcement always means there's something that will strengthen the behavior think reinforcing um, a bridge We're strengthening that bridge. So reinforcement means strengthen. Now, a lot of people don't understand negative reinforcement. Negative reinforcement is not punishment. And negative reinforcement does not necessarily have to be harsh. Now, negative reinforcement does involve an aversive, something that's unpleasant, but it could be mildly unpleasant. But the way negative reinforcement works Behaviors are reinforced when an animal, in this case we're talking about dogs, when they engage in a particular behavior, the result of that behavior or the consequence or what happens right after that behavior in negative reinforcement, something uncomfortable for the learner, something uncomfortable or aversive to the dog is removed. I use the example of, you know, two dogs fighting, and then you separate them. Well, negative reinforcement. Negative and negative reinforcement is a minus sign. It means to remove something. Here, let me give you an example that is really relatable to you and I as humans. We get in our car, and the Automobile Association Uh, manufacturers association and the department of transportation have a vested interest in us wearing our seatbelt. So they put in a negative reinforcement device into the car. What happens when you start the car and you don't put the seatbelt on, right? You ding, ding, ding. Here comes this annoying, aversive sound or tone. And it's nagging us. Ding, 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 ding. It's aversive. It's not punishing, but it's something that we find unpleasant. And it keeps on going on until we do the right behavior. So as soon as we buckle up, all of a sudden, boom, that annoying dinging sound is removed. It's withdrawn. It's taken away. That's the negative and negative reinforcement. We're removing something. So in the case of the dogs, When they view each other as scary or fearful because they view each other as a threat to one another, and then you separate them, that's negative reinforcement because the perceived or real threat got removed. Okay. So behaviors can be very functional. One of the things that we have to take a look at if we really want to be successful in the behavior modification part. Of interdog aggression is to be able to be very, very specific and, and part of what we do is we create what's called a a trigger spreadsheet. and on that trigger spreadsheet, we've got a couple um, columns, and the first column all the way to the left is going to be location. What is the location? where the inter-dog aggression occurs. And it might be more than one location. We need to be very specific. Then the column to the right of location is going to be what's the trigger. Remember, what's the antecedent? Now, a little something about triggers. Triggers can have characteristics, and we need to be specific about triggers. Um, I've had clients that might say to me, My dog is afraid of men. And then when I start digging in, I start questioning and I say, well, is it all men? Is it tall men? Is it short men? Is it men with beards? Is it men with sunglasses? Is it men with hats? Is it men with deep voices? Is it tall men, short men? So we need to understand what all of the characteristics are because we may have a dog that is afraid and acts out aggressively towards men with beards, but might be just fine with other men. And it's really important that we know that so that when we're doing the behavior modification, when we're working on these triggers, when we're working on desensitizing the dogs to the triggers, we know that we're doing um, a complete evaluation because we know what they are and we've got a thorough behavior modification program that's going to be successful. So again, on the trigger spreadsheet, on the left-hand side, first column, that's going to be location. Where does the fighting occur? The next column to the right of location is going to be what's the trigger, and we're going to be very specific about what that trigger is. Then the next column to the right of the trigger is going to be behavior. We're going to list the behavior. Now, don't put in that column aggression. First of all, it's too general, number one. Number two, aggression is not a behavior. It's an emotional state. Aggression's an emotional state. What are behaviors? Well, lunging, barking, biting, snarling, showing its teeth, hair raised on its back, whale eye if you know canine body language, attempting to bite and retreating. So there's lots of different physical acts, behaviors that can occur at a particular location when there's a specific trigger. What are the behaviors? List those and be very specific as to what those are. So again, on our trigger spreadsheet, first column on the left-hand side, location. The next column to the right of that, what is our trigger? Then the next column to the right of trigger what are our behaviors as a result of that and remember behaviors oftentimes are functional okay so when you do that think about how is this functional for the dog how is this functional for the learner now the next column to the right of behavior we're going to go ahead and put frequency now For that column in frequency, we're going to put a number. We're going to assign a number value to frequency. And that's going to be on a scale from 1 to 10. 10 being uh, the most frequent or most often a behavior occurs, 1 being the least. But I want you to think about in terms of, okay, if we present a particular trigger 10 times in a row in that particular location... Out of those 10 times that your dog is in that location and experiences that trigger, how many of those 10 times is your dog going to give those displays, those actions, those behaviors that fall under the emotional state of aggression? Is it one out of 10 times? Two out of 10 times? Nine out of 10 times? 10 out of 10 times? So again, we're going to score frequency. Now, the next column, To the right of frequency is going to be intensity of behavior, intensity or severity. And in this column, we're going to use a number value as well. And again, we're using the scale 1 to 10. 10 is the most severe or the most intense the behavior could be. One would be the least severe or the least intense that the behavior could be. So we're going to put a score there. For intensity. Now, there's another column that we're going to put to the right of intensity or severity of behavior, and that's going to be duration. Now, with duration, we're going to put a period of time. So, let's say, for example, the location is the pet guardian's bedroom, and The trigger is the wife being in the bedroom and the husband walking into the bedroom. So um, location is bedroom with the female pet guardian in the bedroom. The trigger is the male pet guardian walking into the bedroom. The frequency of the behavior, we're going to say 10 out of 10. So it happens every time. The intensity of the behavior, we might score, again, anywhere from 1 to 10. 10 is the most severe. 1 is the least severe. In this case, I might score it an 8. An 8 for severity or intensity. And then what we're talking about right now is duration. So with duration, we're going to put a time period. So let's say that the dog walks into the bedroom where the female pet guardian is in the bed. And the male pet guardian walks into that bedroom. The dog acts out aggressively, barks, lunges, snarls, shows its teeth. And what is our consequence, right? Maybe that male owner yells. Maybe the male owner ignores the dog. Maybe the male owner walks out of the room. But how long until the dog stops displaying those behaviors? Those specific behaviors that we listed, those aggressive behaviors. So, duration is how long does the dog engage in the behavior. Then, the next thing that we're going to mark down and measure. So, another column to the right side of duration. In this case, we're going to label this one recovery. In recovery, we're looking at how long does it take the dog to get back to baseline mood. So it's a little bit different than duration. And sometimes it's going to be the same time as duration. Sometimes it might be longer. And what I mean by that is let's take a dog that maybe has um, extreme fear aggression uh, with one of the dogs in the household anytime maybe they get near a dog door. And let's say that the situation happens, two dogs in the same home, they get near the dog door, there's a fight, um, then they're separated. Um, As soon as they're separated, dog A no longer is acting with those aggressive acts, maybe biting, snarling, lunging, uh, barking. However, this dog might be anxious, nervous, not itself, just not completely itself uh, for maybe two, three hours, maybe a day after that fight. It just is not its complete normal self. Well, recovery is that time frame that it takes for the dog to get back to normal after it's had an incident. And that could be very different than the duration of aggressive behavior. Okay. Um, For example, let's say that you got into a car accident, and right when the car accident happens, you're hysterical, okay? And let's say an hour later, you're no longer hysterical, but inside, you still feel really shaky, and you're nervous, and maybe you are physically a little bit shaky, and maybe it takes you five, six, ten hours before you come back to normal, well... That's going to be the recovery period. So, we've got our problem with two or more dogs fighting in the house. Step one is we're going to manage things through separation. They can't see each other when we separate them because that's going to cause problems. And remember, until we do the work of behavior modification, We need to make sure that the dogs are not rehearsing the behavior. Number one, we don't want them to continue to get hurt. Number two, every time that behavior gets reenacted and rehearsed, it's just getting more and more conditioned, and that makes it more and more difficult to condition out of the dog. Okay, so we've done those things. Now, the next step, we need to rule out any potential medical contributing factors. Um, Some medical factors that can be contributing to aggression could be maybe one dog is getting older and it's starting to have arthritis. Maybe it's got some painful conditions and uh, the dog feels vulnerable. And when another dog comes near it, it, it's not feeling so good. Its mood is bad and maybe it acts out aggressively. So pain, that's a contributing factor. We need to make sure we rule out. And don't assume just because you don't think your dog's in pain that it doesn't have pain. Oftentimes dogs can have pain and we never know about it because they don't complain. They're very resilient. So pain is one thing. Hormonal imbalances. You know, there's an epidemic of thyroid disorder in canines here in the United States. And anytime there's a hormonal imbalance, it's going to affect mood. That can be a contributing factor to aggression and these behaviors. There's other illnesses, other diseases um, that can contribute to it. Seizures, a dog that has epilepsy can have increased aggression. Um, neurochemical imbalances can be a contributing factor to aggression. Um, having problems, maybe an older dog, or in some cases, not even an older dog, but a dog that is starting to go blind, where we've got some visual deficits and we might not be aware of it, but yet it's happening to the dog. And now the world's really scary and the dog is acting out aggressively where maybe it wasn't before. So there are a lot of different things. You could have a dog that it's hearing might be starting to go. And again, anytime we've got problems with our visual or auditory deficits, um, our senses and and we start having deficits in those areas that can be contributing factors to aggression. So we want to make sure that we're ruling out any potential medical contributing factor, because here's the thing, no amount of training, no amount of behavior modification is going to train away a medical issue. And if there's medical issues that are contributing to aggression and we want to have the most success, we need to treat the whole dog. And that means that we look at health considerations as well. All right, so we've managed the situation. We have ruled out any medical issues. If there are medical issues, we'll treat those first, and then we'll evaluate how is the dog, how are the dogs doing now that perhaps we've treated some medical issues that could be contributing factors. We've talked about our trigger spreadsheet, and that's kind of our map on what is the work that we need to do. We've got a good list of um, locations where the problem is, what the triggers are, what the behavior is, how intense it is, how long it lasts, and then how long does it take the dog to get back to normal. We have all that information, and with that, we can begin to do the behavior modification. Now, when you're dealing with aggression, you are talking about doing counterconditioning and desensitization. Right now the dogs view each other as threatening. And what we need to do, the goal of counter conditioning and desensitization, is to change the emotional state, the association that your dog has with the trigger. In this case of interdog aggression, it would be the other dog or other dogs being the trigger, and they've got a negative association. We want to make that association positive, or at least neutral, okay? Now again, there's no quick fix. This takes a while to do. None of it's that difficult, but it's inconvenient. I'm going to say that again, it's inconvenient, and it takes time. Most people do not have the success that they could have because they give up right before the miracle happens. You've got to put the time in. We need to train in behaviors, and we need to create positive associations to create a positive emotional state with these triggers, and that takes time. It takes conditioning. It needs to be when your pet sees the trigger that it has An automatic conditioned response, involuntary response, where when it sees the trigger, when it experiences the trigger, it evokes positive feelings, positive emotions. And therefore, the behavior is going to be behavior that's at least neutral or positive, not aggressive behavior. Now, we talked about that trigger spreadsheet. We are going to take a look at what we put down on that trigger spreadsheet. And what we want to do is we want to find the location and trigger and behavior um, and severity and duration that is the easiest or least offending. Okay. So let's say we've got two dogs fighting in the house and they have their biggest fights in the bedroom when the male pet guardian comes in and the female pet guardian is in the bed. Okay. And both dogs are in that bedroom. And let's also say that, Hey, maybe they've had some fights near a doggy door, but the fights near the doggy door seem to be the fights that are the least intense. And, they maybe, maybe they don't happen as often. And when there is a fight, maybe they recover much faster and the duration of that behavior is much shorter. The reason I say this, when we start doing counter conditioning and desensitization, we want to pick the location, the trigger, the behavior, the intensity, the duration, the recovery. That's the easiest or the least intense, the least problematic. So in this case, let's just, for sake of giving an example, fighting by the dog door. We're going to begin the process of counter-conditioning and desensitization there with that problem because it's the easiest, it's the least severe. Now, when we're doing counter-conditioning and desensitization, don't think about the goal being to stop the aggression. Just get that out of your mind. Forget about the goal being to stop aggression and forget about the goal being to stop aggression as quickly as possible. That mindset is going to cause nothing but problems for you. What I want you to be thinking about, the kind of mindset that I want you to have is that we are teaching a game and we want the dogs to understand a game and the game is really simple the game that we're going to teach is that when you see a trigger that right now you're afraid of when you see a trigger right now that causes you to be aggressive and put you in that disempowered emotional state and act out with those aggressive behaviors We are going to pair that with something very, very, very positive that the dog or dogs love. And so what we want to do is through the work of teaching the game, the game is, hey, this particular trigger brings about wonderful things, the things that you love the most. I'm going to say that again. The game is for the dog to learn that the trigger brings the things it loves the most, We've got to condition that. Now, there's several steps in doing that. And we have to do that in each of the locations that we have put down on our trigger list. We've got to do that with each of the triggers that we put down on the trigger list. And what we're going to be doing is exposing the dogs to the trigger's but we're going to expose it in a very specific, detailed way. There are steps. And we're going to pair that with something very positive. Now, when we're doing this kind of work, there's a term called threshold. And let me talk a little bit about thresholds. There's under threshold, there's at threshold, and there's over threshold. When we've got a dog or dogs that are aggressive, when they are acting out aggressive behavior, they are over threshold. If emotionally, internally, they're nervous, they're anxious, if they have a concern, they are over threshold. or what we might call at threshold. Now, what we want when we're doing counter-conditioning and desensitization is we want a dog or dogs that are below threshold. That means when we expose the trigger to the dog or dogs, we want to keep them below threshold. What we're looking for is a dog that does not have a care in the world let me say that again we're looking for a dog or dogs that do not have a care in the world so we can do this by working on distance first so we talked about perhaps in this fictitious made-up scenario we've got two dogs and they fight sometimes by the dog door however that is the least frequent location the behavior is much less intense um, and they recover much quicker it's one of the easier ones to work on we start there now let's say that it is dog b that we identified who's the aggressor when dog a gets by the dog door and dog b is in close proximity Dog B attacks dog A. Doesn't want the dog to go through the dog door. Now, some of you are going to say, hey, wait a minute, that's territorial aggression, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yep. But it's also fear aggression. No animal goes into fight or flight unless they perceive something as threatening. There might not be a real threat. Okay? Dogs view everything as resources. And in some cases, they're going to view them as scarce. In some cases, they're going to view them as being in abundance. Now, we've got dog A at the dog door. Dog B is the aggressor. What distance does dog B have to be from dog A when dog A is at the dog door, typically, for there to be a fight? What we're going to begin to do in a very controlled way during controlled training sessions we're going to have dog A by the dog door, and we're going to then present dog B. However, when we present dog B, the distance between dog B and dog A and that dog door is going to be significant. The further the distance between dog A and dog B, the less the dog has an emotional state of fear and the less likely the dog is then going to act out aggressively with aggressive behaviors. There's a distance, there's a space where the dogs will be comfortable from one another. I call it the comfort or the circumference of comfort or the circumference of discomfort. Imagine you've got a circle around a dog and there's 20 feet from the dog to the circle. Maybe in that 20-foot bubble, there's aggression, but get outside that 20-foot bubble and maybe the dog doesn't act out aggressively. For every dog, it's going to be a little different. But what we need to do is we need to have the two dogs far enough away from each other that both of those dogs, when they're exposed to one another, they do not have a care in the world. And... That doesn't just mean an absence of aggressive behavior. That means that we need to understand canine body language really well. We need to know how to identify stress signals that dogs produce in their canine body language that can be very, very subtle like a yawn or a tongue flick or a paw raise or the ears being back or maybe there's whale eye or uh, that's when you see the whites of the dog's eye. So there's a lot of different stress signals and we need to know what those are because that's going to let us know that, Hey, internally the dog has a concern. Again, the distance that we start the process of counter conditioning and desensitization has to be so far apart that the dogs don't have a care in the world. Now let's talk about what are the steps. Once you've found that distance, once you've got both dogs, Below threshold. They don't have a care in the world. You've got dog A by the dog door. And you probably need a helper. Maybe the helper's got dog A by the dog door. And maybe you've got dog B. Dog A and dog B don't see each other. All of a sudden, dog A by the dog door sees dog B come into view. Dog B sees dog A. But we're at a distance where they wouldn't have a care in the world. Okay? As soon As the dogs see each other. Within zero to a half a second. Of both dogs seeing each other. Each of the humans. That are accompanying the dogs. Working with the dogs. Need to begin a process. Of constant and continuous feeding. Of super high value food rewards. I'm talking about. What's your dog's chocolate? What does it love the most? Because think about high value food rewards as currency. And we're asking the dogs to do some really hard work and the paycheck better be really good. So you need to find what your dog loves the most. Is it cut up hot dog? Is it cooked chicken? Is it cooked beef? You're going to have little tiny pieces and lots of them, lots of them. Because again, dog A's by the dog door. Dog A doesn't see dog B. Dog B doesn't see dog A. Then, boom, all of a sudden, we bring them into sight at a distance where they don't have a care in the world. And as soon as they see each other, each human that's helping the dog's takes that high-value food reward, whatever they like the most, and they feed, 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 feed constantly and continuously. There's constant food going in the dog's mouths the entire time they see each other, and then we separate the dogs. As soon as they move away from each other and don't see each other, the feeding stops. Okay? We're creating an association. We're pairing something the dogs like, high-value food rewards with the trigger them seeing each other but we're doing it we're starting at a distance where they don't have a care in the world if there's any concern this is not going to work you've got to create further distance now let me get more specific about what we're doing we're at the distance where the dogs don't have a care in the world they don't see each other all of a sudden you bring dog b into view of dog a dog b sees dog a dog a sees dog b And as soon as that happens, you start feeding continuously and constantly with very high value food rewards. Feed, 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 feed. You're going to do that for anywhere between five and 15 seconds. Then you separate the dogs. As soon as the dogs are moving away from each other and they don't see each other, feeding stops. You're going to pause, have them out of sight, no longer feeding for about five to 15 seconds. Then you're going to bring them back together. You're going to do the exact same thing over again. They come back into view as soon as they see each other. Feed, 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 feed constantly and continuously for 5 to 15 seconds. Then the dogs separate. You move them apart from each other where they can't see each other. As soon as they can't see each other, the feeding stops. And again, you're going to wait for about 5 to 15 seconds. And you're going to repeat that again. Each of your training sessions for counter conditioning and desensitization are going to last anywhere between five to 15 minutes long, okay? And you got to make sure the pets you're working with don't have a care in the world. The distance you're working at, they can't have a care in the world. Now, if we're doing this and we need to do this a minimum of three to five times a week, training sessions are anywhere between five and 15 minutes, We need to make sure that we are doing this often and consistently. The only experience that those two dogs should have at this point in training, they don't see each other at all, and the only time they see each other, it's at a distance where they don't care, there's not a care in the world, and now they're starting to associate, hey, when I see that trigger, when I see that other dog, great things happen. And as we do that over and over and over and over and over, we begin to classically condition a different emotional response when the dog sees the trigger. And that different emotional response, if we do it right and we don't rush through it and we put enough time into it, that positive emotional response is involuntary. It's involuntary. It happens no matter what, without thinking about it. It just happens. It's a reflex. That's what classical conditioning is. That's what Pavlovian conditioning is. That's what associative learning is. And we're doing that with counter conditioning. We're desensitizing the dogs. Now, once your dog understands the game... And you've been doing this for several weeks. And and how do you know they understand the game? As soon as your dog sees the trigger, in this case, the other dog, they get excited. They look to you. They want their food. This is a fun, wonderful game. They look forward to the exercise. Once you're there, at that point, you can start doing that counter conditioning and desensitization, but have the dogs just a little bit closer together. And I'm talking a little bit. Don't get greedy. We all make the mistake of getting greedy. We get the dogs too close, too soon. They end up having a concern. And then the next thing you know, there's barking, there's lunging, there's growling, there's the whale eye, seeing the whites of the eye. Um, And we've taken the dogs now over threshold. And that's what we don't want. We're going to err on the side of caution. We want to keep them below threshold. Once you get a little bit closer, you're going to just repeat this entire process over again and over and over and over until at that distance, your dogs understand the game. They love the game. They look forward to the game. They see the trigger and boom, they look to you for the food. That's your signal that then you can move a little bit closer. And very gradually, very systematically, very slowly, you're going to get the dogs closer and, closer and 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 closer each time, making sure they're below threshold each time, constantly and continuously feeding high-value food rewards. Feed, 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 feed the whole time the dogs see each other. As soon as they move away from each other and don't see each other, boom, feeding stops. You are going to do this. It's How long is this going to take? I don't know. Every dog is going to work at their own pace. And you can't work faster than your dog's pace. Okay? When you're doing this, when you're doing counter conditioning, and when you're doing desensitization, and it's a distance issue, and throughout this process, we keep getting closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. closer. One of the things that you need to do as you start getting closer, you need to, from time to time, also expose the dog at a little bit further distance that we already worked through. And the reason we need to not have every single session be one where we get closer and closer and closer, we don't want the dog to begin to predict, hey, This exercise keeps bringing the dog closer and closer and closer and closer to me. And at some point, they get nervous because they figure out the pattern. And they think that, hey, if it gets too close, then maybe I'm going to get hurt. So, what we'd have to do is we have to kind of confuse the dog. We got to throw them off by, let's say, we are working at a distance of 20 feet, and then we get to 19 and we get to 18. we get to 17, we get to 15, then we go back to 19, and we go back to 15, and we go back to 17, and we go to 14, we go to 13, we go to 12 feet, and then we go to 19 feet, and we go to 15 feet, and we go to 12 feet, and 10, and 9 feet, and 8 feet, and then 13 feet. Back and forth between longer distance and shorter distance once we are able to start bringing in that distance. Because what that's going to do is it's going to help the dog even stay more relaxed because it's not necessarily going to be a pattern that the dog can predict. Hey, this dog eventually might be right in my face. And the dog might begin to predict that before it has been properly conditioned to be able to accept that and have a positive emotional response. So we call that toggling. Presenting some close distances and some far distances when you're doing that process to throw the dog off, throw the dogs off. Now, remember I said we are going to start this process with the easiest trigger, and we're teaching that game. Don't worry about the aggression other than keeping the dog below threshold. Worry about teaching the game. Once we've got that one location and we've done our due diligence for counterconditioning and desensitization. Then we're going to look on our trigger list and we're going to go to the thing, the item that is the second least problematic. And we're going to begin the process all over again in that particular location. Now, when we're dealing with interdog aggression, it's not always, well, there's always a location. But sometimes we're talking about an object, resource guarding. Now, they can guard a location. They can guard an object. They can guard a person. Anything can be an object, food, toy, couch, bed, location by the front door. So we've got location and we've got objects. Everything for a dog is a resource. Everything for a dog is a resource that they either feel is scarce or it's in abundance. And if they feel that that resource is scarce, well, they're going to be defensive and they may get aggressive with that. Now, we're going to be talking about when you've got interdog aggression and we're dealing with food or we're dealing with a item like a toy or some other item like a couch, something like that. How do you deal with it? Well, the first step is management. Just like what we were dealing when we are uh, dealing with a location issue or when the fighting starts with two dogs or multiple dogs in the house, we have to separate them. Management. Stop the rehearsing of the behavior until we've done the hard, long work of behavior modification and turn things around. So if, if, for example, we're talking about food aggression, well, there wouldn't be food presented around both dogs when both dogs are together. All right, so let's just say that the only time the two dogs or multiple dogs in the household fight is when there are food or bones, treats around. Well, the first thing you're going to do in management is you're not going to have those things come out when the dogs are together. You already know they're going to fight. Why would you do that, right? You know it's going to happen. We've got to use counter conditioning and desensitization, and we've got to put this on our trigger spreadsheet, and we've got to do the work. So food is the problem, food aggression. Now, what are we going to do? We're going to take a look at what kinds of food. Because just saying food isn't enough. Maybe if it's dry dog food, there's no fight. But maybe if we're giving treats, there is. Okay, so things are context specific. We've got to be very, very specific on our trigger list so that we can work smart and work through all of the triggers. So again, you're going to go ahead and put down where's the location, right? Because maybe they only fight over treats in the bedroom but they don't fight over treats anywhere else. Maybe they only fight over treats in the pantry because it's a small congested area, but boy, you get out into the big kitchen, they don't fight. I don't know. There's lots of different characteristics and nuances. We need to know what they are so that we're working in that context. Dogs are very context-specific on how they think, how they learn. So we've got a situation where we're going to be working on food aggression. In this case, uh, we've identified that it's treats. And in this case, we've identified two areas where they fight over treats. One is in the pantry and one is in the bedroom. So first and foremost, management, we're not going to be having them around. We're not going to be giving treats in the pantry. We're not going to have them around. We're not going to be giving treats in the bedroom until we do the work. So we've got to now work in these locations, Let's start with the bedroom. One of the things that we might do is teach an incompatible behavior. It's called differential reinforcement for the dog to learn how to do a behavior that would be incompatible with the behavior that we don't want. So for example, we don't want the aggressive behavior, which might be lunging, snarling, snapping, biting. So one of the things that we could do is we could teach what's called a place command, Places typically taught on an elevated dog bed or an elevated cot, you know, these cots that are about two inches off the ground, they've got kind of a mesh material so the air can breathe around it. Those things are great for teaching a long stay command and they can't be aggressive and staying on that place at the same time. They'd have to give up one behavior for the other. We're going to begin the process of teaching the dog to stay on that place command. Now, if you don't know how to treat, or excuse me, if you don't know how to teach place, this is not a podcast about teaching place. You can go to YouTube, look up uh, the Phoenix Dog Training YouTube channel, and there should be three videos on teaching place. Teaching place part one, teaching place part two, and teaching place part three. That will help you to learn how to teach place. But basically, it's an implied stay. It's a very strong implied stay with distractions on one of these elevated dog cots. Now, we're still going to make sure that we have the dogs far enough apart That they don't have a care in the world. In this case, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be having them in the bedroom. Now, there might be a dog that is in the hallway with the bedroom door open, seeing the other dog in the bedroom. Okay. And the dogs are going to be on place. Because if they're on place and they're committed to it, they can't be fighting at the same time. They've got to give up that place command to go fight. What we're going to do is we're going to bring the dogs on place. They're going to see each other. We're going to feed, 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 feed constantly and continuously these treats that they like to fight over, okay? And then we're going to take the dogs out of you. We stop feeding. Almost the same thing that we were doing when we talked about the doggy door. Only this time... The location is going to be the bedroom and the trigger is going to be the specific treats they fight over that we've identified. And what you're going to begin to do when they've got that solid, solid place command again is to set up the situation where they got to hang out at that distance Doing something else while you're feed, 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 feeding those treats. Little by little, over time, very gradually, systematically, you bring those dogs with those place cots closer, closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. Okay? Now, let me talk about something that's really important. When you're doing this work, if you've got dogs that bite, before you do this work, you need to do what I call positive muzzle conditioning. They're going to need to learn how to wear a muzzle. They're going to have to be learn how to be comfortable wearing a muzzle. And that doesn't happen by itself. You know, the, the last thing we want to do is take a muzzle, just slap it on a dog. That would be like me taking a straight jacket and just throwing it on you. That would not be comfortable. However, if I showed you a straight jacket and gave you a hundred bucks and then I hid the straitjacket, and then I showed it to you again, gave me 100 bucks, and I hid it. Showed it to you again, gave you 100 bucks, and hid it. At some point, you're dying for me to bring out that straitjacket so you can get another 100 bucks. That's a positive association. We're going to do the same thing with the muzzle and your dog. We're going to show the muzzle, give a high-value food reward, take the muzzle away. Show the muzzle, give a high-value food reward, take the muzzle away. Show the muzzle, give a high-value food reward, take the muzzle away. You get the idea over and over and over until your dog is super excited when you bring that muzzle out, okay? Now we're gonna go to step two. Once we have that, step two of positive muzzle conditioning is to put some peanut butter inside the muzzle. Now, we recommend that you use a basket muzzle. We like the metal basket muzzles, okay? We don't recommend these muzzles that are like mesh material, if you've got a basket muzzle, you can put a piece of tape on the inside and you can put a little smear of peanut butter there and you then can hold that muzzle by your dog's nose and they're most likely going to stick their snout in there and start licking that peanut butter. When they're doing that, when they've got their snout in there and they're licking that peanut butter, I want you to just go muzzle, 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 muzzle. Just keep repeating the word muzzle, use the same tonality over and over while they're licking the peanut butter while their snout is in the muzzle. We're making a positive association that muzzles bring wonderful things, peanut butter, and we're making an association by labeling it muzzle, okay? And you're going to do that for maybe several weeks, okay? Your dog can't have a care in the world for all of this stuff. If your dog's concerned, you've moved too quick too soon. Now, once you've got step two done, then we go to step three. Step three is doing step two, but adding one step to that. And that is taking the strap, the buckle strap for the muzzle and buckling it and then immediately unbuckling it and taking it off. Then you're going to go ahead and put it back on, buckle it. And then you're going to unbuckle it and take it off. You're going to put it back on and buckle it. And then you're going to unbuckle it and take it off. Now, the whole time you're doing this, there's a piece of tape in that muzzle with peanut butter on it. The dog is eating the peanut butter. While you're doing that, you're going, when you put it on, muzzle, muzzle. While you're buckling it, you're saying muzzle, muzzle. Once you start to unbuckle it and take it off, don't, don't say muzzle. You're going to do that over and over. Okay. Now, the next step is going to be the dog wearing the muzzle a little bit longer. But when we get to that point, when we put the muzzle on and we buckle it, okay, we're going to go for a very short walk. When we get to this stage, there's not going to be tape in the muzzle. The dog should be okay with you just putting the muzzle on and buckling it. And what you can do then is put a treat through the wire basket muzzle with your fingers and feed it to the dog. We want to then go for a walk, a brisk walk. We want those legs of your dog moving very quickly because their paws, their legs cannot be moving and trying to pull off the muzzle at the same time. And some dogs are going to do that with their paws. They're going to try to get the paws on the muzzle and try to pull it off. Again, keep the dog moving quickly on a walk. And then, When you get done with the walk, take the muzzle off. And you're going to practice that so that your dog learns to wear the muzzle for duration. Once that gets comfortable and your dog stops the uh, need to want to try to pull it off with its paws, then you're going to go back to that place command and have the dog go on place with the muzzle. You'll start doing your training with that muzzle. When you're doing that place command and you've got that muzzle on, One of the things I'm going to want you to do is little by little, not only are you adding distractions, but you're going to add duration, how long your dog stays on that place cot. Okay. But remember in this exercise, we're getting them closer and closer and closer and closer, but they're on the cot, but they got to be wearing muzzles. Mistakes can happen. What if they get off the cot and they start fighting? Well, hopefully we're keeping them below threshold. Hopefully we're doing this slowly enough. We're doing this gradually and systematically that we're not going to have that issue, but it happens. We've got to be safe. They need to learn how to be comfortable wearing a muzzle and they need to learn to be comfortable wearing a muzzle for long periods of time. What's a long period of time? I don't know. Eight hours. Oh my God. You're saying that is cruel. That's so long. Hey, folks, working dogs, law enforcement, military working dogs, wear it for 8, 10, 12 hours a day, and they're just fine. If you do it the right way, if you incorporate positive muzzle conditioning, they'll be okay. All right? When you're doing the counter conditioning and desensitization, and you've got them on place, and you start bringing them closer and closer, and... When they see each other, feed, 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 move them away from each other, feeding stops, okay? One of the things that you're going to do as far as the next step would be to drop some of those high-value food rewards about six inches to the side of one of the dog's place cots. And then you would take the dog off the cot and they would eat the treats. That is a different scenario and situation when they're on place the dogs view them as being stationary versus if they're moving they might be more threatening so when you get to the part where we're dropping some treats 6 inches away from the place cot what i want you to do is i want you to go back and increase distance again it's as if we're starting over okay and then we bring them closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and in that process, you're going to rotate back and forth between dogs. So one dog will be on the cot while the other dog comes off the cot six inches to get the treats and then goes back on the cot. Because again, the dogs might be fine when they're being fed treats when they're on the cot, but then all of a sudden one comes off, the other dog might get nervous, might get over threshold, might become aggressive. We don't want that. So again, we build up with those high-value treats just feeding it to them on the cot, then we go back to far distance and we do it again, but we're dropping the treat six inches from the place cot and they're moving to get it, okay? Little by little by little, those treats are going to get closer and closer to the other dog and the other place cot. And we're going to do this both ways with both dogs. And again, Very gradually, very slowly, very systematically, you can't go faster than your dog's pace. You've got to keep them below threshold for each and every training session. You've got to avoid the problems and the triggers until you've done the work. The dogs need to stop rehearsing this behavior. All right. We've talked about a location. We've talked about food. The same thing that we did for food, we would do for toys and any other thing that the dog might view as a resource. So let's say that we've got dogs where one dog likes to be on the couch with one of its pet parents and the other dog comes up and and growl. The other dog on the couch growls and the next thing you know, there's a fight. Okay, what do you suppose we're going to do? We're going to set up the situation, but we're going to have the dog that comes towards the couch be presented, be exposed at a distance that the dog on the couch doesn't have a care in the world. That's where we start. All of a sudden, all right, dog A is on the couch. Dog B at a distance, out of view. All of a sudden, dog B comes into view at a distance. Dog A on the couch, sees dog B, doesn't have a care in the world. When they come into view, when both dogs see each other, both dogs... Feed, 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 feed. Constantly and continuously. High value food rewards for 5 to 15 seconds. Then you bring the dogs away from each other as soon as they don't see each other. Feeding stops. And you just let them settle for 5 to 15 seconds. And then you do it all over again. Until they learn the game. And they love the game. Then you get to go a little bit closer and start that process all over again. Remember, we need to do this at least three to five times a week. Training sessions are between five and 15 minutes each time. When we're feeding, it's between five and 15 seconds of feeding. Then when we separate the dogs and they don't see each other, it's about five to 15 seconds of not seeing each other. You're going to go through this process for every single location and for every single trigger that they're aggressive towards. And this can get complicated. And that's why we have a trigger spreadsheet. As we're going through this process of counterconditioning and desensitization, we need to be taking our trigger spreadsheet and from time to time we need to rescore. We need to measure... If we're making progress. And what we're looking for is a dog that we can get closer and closer and closer and it stays under threshold. We want the frequency of the behavior to decrease. We want the intensity of the behavior to decrease. We want the duration of the behavior to decrease. We want recovery time to be faster. Now, It is so important that when you're doing this work and when you have dogs that are aggressive, don't think in terms of a cure. If you get a cure, man, you're lucky. That's icing on the cake. There is absolutely no guarantee that you're going to cure aggression. Aggression is a problem that you manage, aggression is a problem that you always work on. You're always training, you're always managing. You're always working on counterconditioning and desensitization dogs that are aggressive. Even when you go through the work, you don't have a day that you can say, Hey, all is good. I can let them do their own thing. I don't have to watch them at all. And they're going to be just fine. No, you need to think in terms of these dogs are like having special needs children and you don't let special needs children do their thing unsupervised. They are supervised, and your dogs need to be supervised. We're also going to be working on lots of other obedience training. We need to have dogs that can respond to commands. And we use those commands in different locations to begin the process of providing structure and leadership and showing your dog that you're a benevolent leader, but that you're in charge. I'm not talking about doing alpha rolls or showing the dog who's boss. That's BS. None of that stuff holds up with science. Dogs are not being dominant. We don't need to dominate them. But you have to remember, when it comes to all aggression, it's based in fear. And what we need to do is expose the dogs to that fear at a distance that's far enough away that they're below threshold. They don't have a care in the world. We're pairing that trigger with high value food rewards that they love we're doing that over and over consistently creating a classically conditioned response that is involuntary that is a reflex when the dogs see the trigger they have a positive emotional state because of the work that we did there are a lot of things that you might have to work on and When you bring the dogs together, they're going to be at a distance. And as they get closer and closer and closer and closer, one of the things that you're going to do, let's say they get very comfortable being five feet apart. They're going to spend a lot of time on their place cots five feet apart, supervised with their muzzles on. You're going to be controlling what they do. They're going to have leashes on when they're out. Until this is all done, you need those tools. You need to have your high-value food rewards with you. And you need to take your time. What happens is people start having success, and they take the muzzles off. They stop supervising the dogs. They let them do their own thing, and then all of a sudden there's another fight. And they start from square one. If the dogs haven't damaged each other to the point where you have to rehome one. Now, in some cases, we might be dealing with dogs where the fighting is unbelievably severe. They might have other fears and phobias when it's really severe. And if they've got fears and phobias that are generalized well beyond just issues with one another, the two dogs, you may need to consult with your veterinarian and have behavioral medicine as an adjunct to behavior modification. I don't want you to view behavior medicine as anything bad because quite frankly, um, I've seen it do wonders for many, many, many dogs. Now, it's not for every dog and it won't work with every dog and it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't bring about a total cure, but it can help a lot in the process. You know, in some ways, we can have dogs that are stuck so bad over threshold, doesn't matter what we do, we can't get them under threshold. Well, we need medication to help get them under threshold so we can start doing the work. Also, if we can't get the dog out of this horrible emotional state, this disempowered state, we can't get the dog to learn anything because when they're in fight or flight, when they have that kind of fear, they're operating from that older part of the brain, the emotional centers, the amygdala, in the center of the brain, the frontal cortex, where executive functioning, logic, critical thinking, reason, where that happens from, that part of the brain shuts down when they're in fight or flight. They can't use it. That's one of the reasons we have to keep the dogs below threshold when we do the work. They won't learn. But what we will end up doing is um, reinforcing that disempowered emotional state and we don't want to do that we need to make every training session extremely positive we need to take our time when you get all of the triggers counter-conditioned desensitized you are not out of the woods when you get to the point where you let your dogs kind of just wander around doing their own thing you are not out of the woods have leashes on the dogs Have them wear muzzles. Make sure that you supervise them. If you can go nine months and the dogs can go everywhere, do everything. They've got muzzles on though. They've got leashes on anytime they're together and you've not had any fighting. The next step would be the dog that is the most aggressive, the one that did the most biting and damage. That dog will continue to wear its muzzle the dog that did the least amount of damage, the least amount of biting, you'll take the muzzle off of that dog and you'll let them hang out and do their thing for another three months. And if there's not a fight, you're going to put the muzzle back on the dog that was the least offensive dog and you're going to put a muzzle on the dog that was the most offending dog for three months. If you don't have a problem or a fight, then you can take both dogs' muzzles off. But what I want you to do is only take them off for short periods of time throughout the day and then put them back on. And little by little over time, over the next six months, then you can have them... Spend more time, longer time, without wearing the muzzle. Remember, there's no such thing as a cure. All aggression can come back. Anything can trigger it. When you're doing counter conditioning and desensitization for dogs with aggression, this is a lifestyle. It is not a training event. You are never done. You're always training. It's like you need your dogs to be professional athletes, and they've got to continually practice or their skill set goes down and, and they're not going to be able to make baskets. Well, if your dog's skill sets go down, the counter conditioning and desensitization, we might have aggression again. Now, even though we go through all of that counterconditioning and desensitization, I'm going to tell you, I want you to do your best always to make sure your dogs are not exposed to those triggers even though we made it better. Why? Any trigger that your dog does not have to be exposed to, think about it, ask yourself the question, how important is it? If your dogs don't have to be exposed to that trigger and you know that by them not being exposed, there's not gonna be a fight, do that. The counter conditioning and desensitization is to improve their emotional state, but it's also there if and when we make a mistake with. Management because usually it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when there's going to be a problem with management and that is the exact reason why there are so many trainers out there that won't take on interdog aggression. That is why there are so many trainers that believe that when it comes to interdog aggression that's serious you need to always rehome one of the dogs. They don't think that the pet parent the pet guardian can be successful managing it. And I say with lots of counter-conditioning and desensitization and with really good management, yes, there might be a management mistake. But what we're hoping is that with all the counter-conditioning and desensitization, if there's a management mistake, we don't have a fight. So, again, there's no such thing as a cure. We do our due diligence, we do our work, and we continue to manage If we make a mistake in management, we hope that counter conditioning and desensitization is going to be there to save her butt and that there won't be a fight. If you've got questions about this, if you've got questions about interdog aggression, if you need to consult with a professional, you can give me, um, send me an email. And the best way to reach me is you can send that to will at pet Today.com. That's Will W I L L at Pettalktoday.com. If you like the work we're doing, do us a favor, give us a review on Apple Podcast or whatever podcasting platform you're listening to. This, and please share this with other people that uh that might be struggling with the same type of problems because I guarantee you. You're not alone if you're dealing with inner dog aggression. And like I said, it is absolutely one of the most difficult issues that you could ever possibly deal with. Well, that sound means we are just about out of time. Hey, I realize there's a lot of information. There's a lot to digest here. Take your time. There's no hurry when it comes to dealing with aggression. Have a great day. I'm out of here. That's all, folks.